loses all meaning, loses all value. Yeah. That's not, and so your mind's not entertaining. It's just like when you were a kid, you were really here because you hadn't, you didn't think that you could be anywhere else. It took a while for the head to get into that impossibility as a possibility that I don't have to be here, right, where I am. When you're a kid, you don't have that. You're just here because your mind can't entertain being anywhere else. And so here seems quite normal, and it's no big deal, because there isn't anything else to compare it with, mentally. That's sort of what it's like. It's like going back to an absolute state, because there's no possibility it could be any other way. You can't be anywhere other than right here. It's impossible. And it seems like really uh, obvious, but I'm telling you, it's really valuable when that sinks in. Because we're really entertaining, uh, the conditional mind's entertaining the impossibilities of things. It's, it's impossible for us not to be here, yet we don't, we don't believe that. We believe it is really possible for me not to be here. And basically, I've been pretty much absent my whole life, which writes a huge, like opens up a huge story about what it was like not to be in one's own life and the struggle to get back into what I was once in and all like this and you just become the star. The mind becomes a star as a little action figure. The, all the spotlight is on you. But when it's just an obvious fact, the condition that you would like to make noble and special, then it, you wear it loosely and it's really, it's, a way, it's the way to wear it. It's not to be like buttoned up and uniformed and put, you know, stripes on. It's just, you wear it loosely. You're just conscious. Consciousness is just obvious. Then all the constraints of time, they all start weakening, either all at once or they just start eroding. Yeah? Because there's nothing to keep them propped up. And then you see the role of the mind as the dreaming of it. You know, how the interest and attention is really like a, a giant maintenance crew that just keeps going around, you know, uh, cleaning up the edifices, you know, cleaning up all the, the fucking billboards and all the statues of how it is. And it's a really busy little company. It's like the little crews on the Golden Gate Bridge. They're constantly working, you know, repainting it the exact same color it's always been. <laughs> you know what I mean? But they're constantly busy fighting all the elements and everything like that. <laughs> but when they're done, it's just like it was. <laughs> the only reason why it wasn't was there was the entertaining of the possibility. Hey, it doesn't have to be this way. It can get eroded. It can, it can collapse. It can get tarnished. Yeah, this is all about time. Yeah. But something that is of, not of time doesn't get tarnished, it doesn't erode, it doesn't like uh, get rusty, it doesn't get creaky and old, and it doesn't become arthritic like dogma and, and, and uh, fundamentalism when they take a spiritual message and cloth, cloth it in a religion and then dogma and uh, fundamentalism becomes the, the uh, interpretation. That's like arth arthritic, there's no sap in it, you know, it's just like brittle wood. But this is a living, a living uh, religion or a living spirit or the way in a sense because it's not of time so it's never being diminished nor is it being increased. 
It has no desire to become because it already is. It's not attempting to fulfill anything because it's fulfilled. Yeah? All the things that are the basis of all this mind and this identification as being the self, its main engine of seeking is to better, is to become, yeah? is to complete, is to find out its authenticity, come or whatever, yes, or the more the better, whatever it is. It's all of its all of its selfing, all of the seeking is driven by one one energy, which is I am not what I want what I am. I could be better, I could get this, I could do that, da 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 da. And it's a never ending movement of seeking. You're always gonna be an urban renewal project. You're never gonna come to a completion where they'll just say, Oh, it's beautiful, look at what it's finally done. We can now rest. It's not like God, you know, the seven days of creation and he rested on the sixth day or the seventh day. In the selfing, there's no seventh day. It's just making. Making and making and making and making and making. It never comes, because it never sits there and goes, yes, and this is good. It never has that affirmation. <laughs> it never comes to a completion. And it drives, well, it's just agitated. You know, you can see it. Sit down and see if you can just sit for a while before your mind wants to pick something up, a paper. I'd watch people who, uh, you'll have the TV on, but there's nothing on the screen, and someone will come into your room and they'll start staring on that screen. But there's nothing on it. They're just staring. Because their mind is just looking for something to glom onto. They just, the nothingness is sort of like, ah, no, no. I want something to get obsessed in. I want something to be distracted by it, you know? Why is that? We know, most of us, that things aren't going to bring us fulfillment, because if they could, they would have already, yeah? They've been given ample amount of time to be the main delivery system of satisfaction. It hasn't worked for many people. I mean, we're not that dumb, but I would say that's not the main drive. The main drive is to not to recognize our own nature, in a sense. It's like a... It's like an act of denial of our nature, trying to become all these other things. Jesus Christ! Woo! A blast from the past, all right. <laughs> I wouldn't have expected anything less as an answer. <laughs> Sushi. 
<laughs> sautéed, <laughs> pickled, <laughs> and still caught. <laughs> Where else? Why go anywhere else? Yeah. Why go anywhere else? I mean, if you look at Buddhism and the, the way it's contrived now, they have the eightfold path of how to get out of or get relief from the suffering caused by desire. And what's the major desire of the conditional minds? A desire to become what? A special, independent, long-lasting entity. A self. And that desire can never be fulfilled. So therefore there's going to be suffering. If desire is the cause of all suffering, and the desire that our whole mind is based on is never going to be able to be fulfilled, then what's going to be a constant product of that desire is suffering. Explained it really well. And he says, All right, well, if you get that, that desire is the cause of suffering. If you go back to the initial desire, which is what? Which is the mind wanting to be a self, which it can never fulfill. It can lose its own nature and become another nature. It already is, if you want to give it a name, spirit, or consciousness, or awareness. How can it? lose that nature and become the nature that it casts itself to be identified with, a body. It can only forget by being identified as a body. It can't erase its nature. It can only forget its nature by taking this to be the nature. Yeah? So this desire of mind to become this has to have the ingredient of forgetting what it is. Or it wouldn't be fooled one minute by all the selfing because it would already have a sense of what it is. But by becoming so engaged in this desire to become a self, it forgets its own nature of completeness and fulfillment. And now it seeks like a pale, conceptual representative of that fulfillment in uniqueness and specialness as an individual. Yet it never pans out. It doesn't hold water. No matter how special you get, no matter how how many times have you felt a huge deflation when you got it every you got everything you want, it was almost better that you didn't get it because at least you could have hope of what it would bring about, what kind of fulfillment it would it would arise, and what and that would become lasting. And then to have all that and have that not happen, it's an incredible demoralizing uh, realization. Yet the selfing just goes on and says, "Well, it would have worked if you were someone else." or it would have worked if she was six feet instead of five ten. Somehow it plays with the formula and this constant candle of hope burning incessantly, you go for the next formula. To do what? To find a completion in what will never be completed. You can't complete the mission of being a self if you're something other than that. It's impossible. So so there you go. It says, Alright, well, desire is the cause of all suffering. Hey, you want what do you need to do? Well, get out of the desire. Well, wouldn't it be wiser to get out of, let's say, if you want to give it a linear uh, location, wouldn't it be wiser to get out of the first desire? And then probably if you got out of the first desire, it would affect all the other desires. And instead of attempting to give up your possessions and do this, and desire for sex and like that, yet never giving up the desire to be a self. <clears throat> I mean, seriously, like Ramana said, he says, don't give... Don't worry about your possessions, just give up the possessor. Yeah? Don't worry about your desires, just give up the desire. Yeah? That's the original desire, if you want you know, I like to use the word original, but let's just say it's a primary one, which is the desire 
to be some to become something, yeah? To become a long lasting, independent, separate entity. To forget its nature of no thingness and take on this nature. And you see it. All day the mind is is assigning the attributes of consciousness to the body. It's saying, I'm seeing, I'm hearing, I'm feeling, I'm tasting, I'm touching. That's what it does. It co-ops everything by claiming and privatizing and owning it. So there's a feeling when something, when there's a, when there's a, like a cut on the thing, it feels like it's your cut, doesn't it? There's always a sense of ownership arises to whatever happens. If a thought is seen, which is not you seeing it, it's consciousness. If a thought is seen, the mind's idea is that you're the seer of it, but as a body. So you give the attributes of I-ness or nothingness or subjectivity, and you give it to the body, and you make it, you crown it as the subject. Yet still, still that doesn't complete the mission. It has to constantly keep claiming everything to get the sense that it's the one that's doing it. That it has some worth as an owner. It has some worth as a haver. Yet it's flimsy. It falls apart. You have these really annoying things called pauses and epiphanies and moments of uh, selfing, stopping, and moments of uh, peak moments or being in the zone as a sports person where there's an obviousness there is no self involved in it and that's like the highest level of performance you can be in. Yet, it just tries to claim that and says, I was the one that was in that zone. <clears throat> I was the one that was having the experience of the epiphany. When it was obvious, it wasn't even there. So here, the desire to become, I would say, is the main desire. And so then after he tells you the Four Noble Truths, he says, all right, the Eightfold Path, or at least this is how it's been constructed now. So the Eightfold Path, and if you look at it again in a linear form, the first one, I think, is the most important. It says right view. What's the right view? Well, the Buddha's right view was anatta, non-self. As soon as that, it's just like in recovery. It says, being, it says, you need to be convinced, and then, therefore, you go to the next thing. Well, he's basically saying, right view, and then right livelihood, right meditation, right understanding. All of the rightness of all those other things are based on the rightness of the view. So the view is you're not that. You're not a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. You're not the doer of the actions. You're not the haver of the thoughts. Yeah? You're not the feeler of the sensations. He says, hey, there are events happening. Their deeds are being done, but there's no individual doer thereof. The whole premise of you, if you weren't the doer in this seeming life, then whose life would it be anyway? The whole claiming of the life is based on you as being the doer of the actions that comprise that life. If you took that plank out of it, the self would have nowhere to stand. It would free fall. And in its free fall, you'd recognize you're the space it's free falling in. Instead of what you think is free falling, you'd sense the being the space that it's free falling in. The whole rug, the whole mythical rug would be pulled out from underneath it, and there it would go, cascading down this, the, the conceptual waterfall, fearing the rocks of oblivion, and yet there's where you stop grabbing and you realize you have wings instead of hands. Yeah? This isn't about grasping and getting and having and understanding it, like to know it, but to not know it, to live in that uncertainty of the mystery of this freaking event. Yeah? 
that it isn't happening to you. It's just happening. You're not like a disen- you're not a disengaged observer of this thing called life. You're right, totally in the mix of it. Yeah, there is absolutely no degree of separation between you and what's happening. And the observer, the observer is an idea of mind. You, now you think you're the one that's seeing all the things going on. No, 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 no. There's just seeing. There's no one that's doing it. So right view leads to all the other right things. If you start on the third one and through right meditation, you want to create a right view, I don't know if that will work out well. Because maybe, just maybe, when the act of meditation is happening, the template will be there's a you that's meditating to get to this goal of having the right view that there is no you. Why not start with the right view? Then if if you're inclined to meditate, it's not you that's inclined to meditate. So therefore, when you start thinking there isn't a you, there won't be a a demand of a you to stop meditating because there was never a you that was meditating. It was just meditation. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to call off the imaginary dogs. You, you were not doing it then, nor are you doing it now, nor will you be not doing it or doing it later. Yeah. <laughs> so watch. If you watch your head, so you can see it. You can see the desire at work. Your mind, most people's minds are agitated. Yeah. They're they're stirred, yes? They're agitated. They're, it's like a wind blowing over the surface of some water. Like where I surf, there's a beautiful lagoon, and on a really calm day, the lagoon can reflect the surrounding hills and the trees. But very rarely is it calm enough to do that. Though the potential's there to do it. Because there's usually winds blowing on it, yeah? So all you see is the movement of the surface all broken up, and that movement tends to attract your eye more than anything else. But when it calms down, when you're, if your mind wasn't reflecting agitation of this mental process called selfing, and it was, let's say, free to sort of reflect something other than that, maybe it would see something or reflect something that was calm and complete, like being. Yeah? The only movement of being would be a movement to express its completeness and fulfillment, instead of trying to get completed and fulfilled, yeah? And so the same mind, with that possibility going on, what would the mind's reflection? When you look at the mind, you'd see that calmness, you'd see the peace. You'd see, and you would see things clearly. Even though the possibility to see those things clearly was there at all times, but you would actually have the sense of seeing things clearly, because the reflection would be clear. So most minds, because there's this hook that I'm not about that, I am, these thoughts are about me, this story is of me, this story is about me, this, this whole narration, I'm keenly interested in it because it's about me, that's agitation, yeah? Agitation. And agitation, seeking peace, is never going to find peace because when it arrives at peace, it's agitated. Yeah? It's like a wind that blows over on that surface all the time. It's looking to have a peaceful reflection, but it can't because its whole premise is agitation, which is an unfilled movement of a desire. Just like when you have a desire for something, that same thing. 
your mind gets <coughs> focused, your interest goes there, <coughs> and, and suddenly time becomes really important because you want to get there faster, you want to acquire it quicker, you're afraid you won't have enough time to enjoy it. All of these things that could be living, lived with quite loosely, like time and everything like that, become very, very straitjacket like Because now you are absent or lacking and you want fulfillment. Well, just use that example of a desire, let's say, for ice cream or a drink, running to the store before they close or whatever, <clears throat> panting and running and very actually, what's going to happen if I don't if they're not open? Now just expand that to the primary desire that all those desires just reflect, which is the desire of mind to be what it's entertaining, which it can't be. You can see how the interest, instead of dispersed like a big lens, gets focused. As soon as you want something, then that you, you'll be walking around during the day. Everything seems to be cool. You don't have much constraints. Let's say you don't have a job. No one's telling you what to do. <clears throat> and everything seems to be open and wide. Suddenly, the mind sees a, a signpost up ahead, like the Twilight Zone. And it wants that signpost. Oh, as soon as that happens, what happens? Your focus gets tunneled down. Interested, yeah? Everything now seems to be an impediment to you getting there faster. Everything has all different meaning in a split second as soon as the desire arises. Either a desire to get away from or to get close to. What do you think's happening in the head? Way past, that's like a, a pale, pale reflection of the machinery of, of self. And that machinery is churning all day because the desire to become is pretty damn fucking incessant. It's not like a desire for Agendas that may overcome you one night out of a, two weeks. This is like every day in time. It's incessantly on about becoming something or unbecoming something it thinks it is. Yeah? It's like the flame is all, it's always popping. It's always, it's like uh, water on a hot pan. It's always popping, 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 popping. Yeah? That interest and attention when dispersed, is actually the source of peace. When focused, it's the driving of, uh, it's like the, it's like that thing we would call the effects of being obsessed with oneself. <clears throat> Same interest and attention. One is open and dispersed, available to other possibilities. The other is tunnel vision and has an intent. Seeing, looking. Seeing, self-centeredness, which is called looking. It's the same seeing, but focused and funneled into a certain thing. Yes? That's looking. That looking can never see what's seen, because it is what's seen. <clears throat> and when it, when it takes itself to be this, now that it wants to become that, and it makes our original nature as like a goal, it's almost, even, it's suddenly even worse. Because now, your patience gets stretched for lifetimes. You're going to be purifying for lifetimes. It's going to take you a hundred births and deaths to get to this point of waking up. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Would you ever buy that as something? Would any desire ever... Oh, yeah. I, I know you have a desire. It's going to take you about a hundred lives to get to that desire. Are you ready to sign up? Yeah? All right, come on. Yeah. But this is what mind's like with spirituality. Look at all the spirit, look at all the religions. They should have been closed down thousands of years ago. They failed miserably. 
They don't produce anything they imply. Now, they have no intention of taking anyone out of the uh, out of the matrix, so to speak. Yeah. Yet they point to it all the time. And yet they're the middle men and middle women to get us there. Come on. It's a. There's no river you need to be ferried across. You don't need a ferryman. And I felt, from in in a sense, the knowing of this here is because it's happened. Yeah, I saw it, <clears throat> and by seeing it, it allowed me to see what I'm not. And then what and. The thing is, you never see what you're not. You see the building of what you're not. You see the impliedness of what you're not. You see the vague pointing to what you're not. You, the veiled little inferences to what you're not. Yes? But you never see what you're not. Yeah? Because there's nothing to see. You just see the construction of it. The, uh, the reinforcing of it. But there's no it that's reinforced. It's just an idea. Yeah? And then the, the poor, like the, uh, the body gets, is like, is, <laughs> the mind just uses the body beyond its ability. Yeah? It claims it to be you. And fuck. Then it turns into a me. And then all the intelligence the you as a body possesses, when it's corralled and claimed by the me, does almost no good. You can't fucking even know what your mind, body's trying to tell you. You've got to go to an authority, some doctor who gives you pills to take away the symptoms with tons of effects that are going to come back. You'll, you'll get a good night's sleep, but then you'll have rectum bleeding the next day. You know what I mean? Some freaking weird, oh, that sounds good. Anything for some sleep. Yeah? But the body is very, it's, it's got a pretty good antenna. It's got a pretty good sense. It's sort of like a... A, divide, a divining rod, whatever, one of those things. It has a very good intuitive uh, sense of what's going on, but it gets totally hijacked by the me, which is the mental process taking the attributes of I-ness and giving it to this you-ness and then calling it me. Yeah. The me is the disease, not the you nor the I. It's the me. Yeah? <clears throat> it's a mental disease. This is like the Petri dish it uses. It grows itself in this identification. And in that growing, it just becomes to a point where the act of claiming it almost seems like a past tense. There's just the constant sense of being you the doer, you the thinker, you the feeler, you the bad one, you the good one, you the this, you the this, you the this. It's already like the product has already been completed. We're just playing out its little expiration date. A little warranty. Yeah? It's already a done deal. It's not like we're even in the process. We're assuming, we're, we're assuming all the qualities of a made-up product just by listening to the production. We listen to the production up here, and the product, ooh, suddenly it's just, and the product feels like it was before the production. So you have a feeling when, before, when something happens, you were there before it happened. You were always there, and then things happen to you. Yeah. You preceded everything. It plays God. 
It takes itself to be the Alpha and the Omega. I don't care how much you say you love God, you love the mind, love self more than God. Because it always will thrust God into something to be known by the self. I'm a knower of God. If you really knew God, it would be like Ramana Mahashi says, to know God is to be God. He has no knower of God, no lover of God. That's totally cut out and it's like, whip, right, to being. Yeah? So I found, you know, I found help with this information. And I, I must, because I come here every week for years now. There must be something I'm getting out of it. You know, I hear it just as much as I hope others hear it every time. It's, I can see mind coming out of a... It has a loose posture of how to make it through the day. And then when I come to satsang, it just comes out of that and just works out stuff, and it's like always amazing to me. <clears throat> always amazing to uh, the apparatus. Always amazing to the you. Yeah? And I really love describing what we're not, because that can be seen. Yeah? The, it, to me, it's just... Uh, It's not useful to describe what we are, because it's indescribable. Yeah? To walk away thinking you know what we are would actually be a disservice. Yeah? To walk away with nothing is a service. To walk away with I don't know is more of a service than to walk away with some idea or some concept that you know. Yeah? The concepts are there to annul or void other concepts. Like Ramana said, you know, you have a thorn in your foot. You use another thorn to take the first thorn out. You don't replace the first thorn with the second thorn. You throw both of them away. Yeah? So an understanding has only one real value, which is to lead to its own demise. So there's freedom. Freedom from understanding, freedom from the whole shebang. Yeah? Whatever we get here as a skillful means is, is meant to lead to nothing. Because nothing is the gift that keeps on giving. Nothing is it. To walk here with nothing and to leave here with nothing, you've come out of this with a lot of something. Is that nothing will serve us. Yeah. Like they said, the son of man has no place to rest its head. That's its nature. It's not of man. It's not of thingness. Yeah. What's looking for a place to rest is self. What you are is that rest. Yeah? The place you want to go to, you are that. It's not a place. It's not a structure. It's not a location. It's not an event that hasn't happened yet. It's always available at all times. Yeah. I mean, really, if you listen to that flute music, what actually amplifies the flute music is the silence, yeah? Without silence, nothing would be happening. Without nothingness, all this something would never even fucking appear. Yeah? But it's, there's very little clapping after the movie for the screen, you know? 
Yet the screen brings every movie to us. But when you have a very stable, reliable screen, I saw a melodrama yesterday, an action movie the other day, a horror movie the other day, yet the screen isn't horrible. Yeah, it was like a tsunami film, the screen isn't wet. <clears throat> it just allows all this to arise, but doesn't get affected by any of it. To take that to be something other than you is, to me, insanity. How could you not be that? When you sense the awareness and the consciousness seemingly moving through what you call you. <clears throat> Before it's been tattooed and, and, uh, and stenciled with your name on it and embroidered with the sense of being an action figure, you got to get the sense, like when you close your eyes, you don't stop here. I mean, you're not, like, in here, inside this, you know, you're not up against a cheekbone, yeah? This is just a, this is like a very flimsy, like a room divider, yeah? <laughs> it doesn't have any real width or weight, <laughs> yeah? It just makes a mental appearance of being different. But we're all swimming, we all are that which everything seems to be swimming in, you know? How can you say, I stop here, and then I don't know what all this is, and then you start there, and then give only value to what's here and what's there, and no value to all of this. Where well, I would say, this is all that's valuable. <laughs> so really, if, if, a, if you start out cheating yourself, you're going to feel like you've been cheated your whole life. You're going to be seeking retribution and trying to get and have and go on and go on and go on. Yeah? Being cheated from the whole sense of like what we had when we were kids. I don't know. I wasn't in an abusive situation. I can't... I don't know what it's like if you were born into a situation that was violent and threatening, but I wasn't. I was just in a lower middle class family and all was fine with me. You know, as a kid... And there was a certain flavor of what it was like to live and that never left me. I know the whole place seemed brighter, I tell you that much. And I remember when it dimmed down, you know, when I was around four and a half, when introspection started, when I started to think about myself, when the thought system presented very, very uh, continuously this premise of being something that was really wrong, something was bad about this thing that I was. From that day on, it was like a song and dance got created. I just didn't want anyone to see what I knew I was. I was. Keep everyone off balance. Yeah? And it was just like an unbelievable uh, come down, <laughs> in a sense. Yeah, but I remember it. Everything looked so bright. Everything. My family looked so happy. And then suddenly, like a dark pale came over everything, which never left for a long, long time. It's really like being taken over. I like both. I like it. to look at alcoholism like a parasite. And it's really like that. It's like a mental parasite that takes your the possibility of being here over and it colors what here is, you know. It's like if it's like if it's yellow, it throws a yellow tint on everything. So everything looks like it's washed out with yellowness, you know. And you start thinking that's real and solid. That's the way things are, but they're not that way. They just seem to be that way. 
based on where you're seeing them from. Yeah? Instead of trying to change them, change where you believe your location is. Don't change it, just see if it's so or not. See if you're, if you are a thing, then you're defined by the thing. Yeah? If you are that, then you are the definition of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. But if you're not that, you may not have to live by that definition. And all that it entails, one of the biggest things it entails is separation. For you to be you and for me to be something else, there has to be separation. For you to have a drive to become unique, there has to be separation, because that's where uniqueness would thrive, yes? And look at what comes along with separation, all these unintended consequences. In the pursuit of being special, you feel like you're unloved, maybe, your whole life, when you're the source of love. Take such a position that you can be, you can be totally, totally, seemingly blind to your own nature, and it's bubbling over, and it, and to expect it to be outside of you, and to have that never show up in one's life, and to have a belief that you've never been loved when you're loved—that's an incredible move of mind. You know, that's making the impossible seem possible. I mean, I had a tie, I got so tired of waiting for someone to save me, be it a guru or a drug. I was just, I had, couldn't wait any longer. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was just fucking tired of it. Constantly putting it off in time. If I just practice more, if I just see this teacher, if I just get this set of chi come down. It was all just like a giant fucking carrot, in front of like a mental mule trudging the road of unhappy destiny. <laughs> you know? I heard this invitation and it became the last answer I've heard so far. Thank God I couldn't get on that treadmill of new answers anymore. Because there's never an answer enough. It always has to be reinvigorated like a turbocharged Buddhism or Instead of a silent retreat, a silent therapeutic, tantric, cooking, natural, vegan food retreat. <laughs> There's got to be more and more added on to it. I mean, I got a guy, I was selling Buddhas at my house, you know, on a sale outside. <clears throat> and this guy came over and he was looking at the Buddhas and he said he wanted a Buddha, but he didn't have the money, you know, to buy it at the time. And so I said, yeah, well, you can come back and pay me. So he gave me all these brochures, and he was a, a meditation teacher, and he had a retreat coming in Costa Rica where there was kayaking, and then they'd sit for an hour or two. Then he had one set up for the rainforest or some other place. And the guy never showed up and paid me for months, eight months or something. <laughs> but I said, you know, and, I was, and there were beautiful brochures, you know. It's like a 10-day retreat. Just, uh, let's be fucking honest, a 10-day vacation. You know why? Why put a spiritual connotation to make you feel better by going? You're just going to fucking have fun. Do we have to have a retreat for fun? I was amazed. I really was. I said, Jesus Christ, and turbocharged Buddhism. Extreme radical Buddhism. I saw that in a paper. Fucking what's wrong with Buddhism? It's got to be radicalized and made into an extreme. It ain't going to work. It ain't going to work. No matter how much, how much you huff and puff, you can't make nothing into something. And all the 
times we take it to be something, it's always going to leave us with a feeling of nothing, but one of those mental nothing feelings, not a great expanse of clear emptiness, but an emptiness of an unfulfilled desire once again. That kind of emptiness, that kind of nothingness, and we don't want that kind of nothingness. One idea of being a self drops out, you'll find out. See how the whole system uh, goes after that. Yeah? And if it, if it goes the way it seems to have gone with me, then you'll know, you'll know the tree by its fruits. You'll get a sense of, hey, that must have been the problem because I'm not feeling all those effects I used to feel, or I'm not living as those effects I used to live as. Yes? So therefore, it must be so. I had no idea. And then one of the major desires is you being there to get it. That's a fucking very strong desire of mine. As you see it at all these meetings, people are still waiting to be there to get it. The message is about there is no you going to get it, but there's still a hope that there will be, you'll be a special exemption. So that how you feel right now is going to get the feeling of what you're not, of what, or the absence of what you take yourself to be. It ain't going to happen. You'll be waiting a long time, and time will be it. You will be waiting a long time. So, hopefully this will save you time, these talks. You know? I can't help but do them, but it would be nice to know that they're working somewhat. <laughs> So you see it, eh, bro? Desire to become or desire to unbecome. Because there's a lot of ideas you have about you that you really deep down believe that's who you are. And there's a huge desire to unbecome. Yeah? And it's very difficult to unbecome what you've never been. They'll always, so if you don't want to feel like a fraud, which would be a desire not to be a fraud, you'll feel like one hundreds and hundreds of times. You know? Because it doesn't fucking work. You can never, no matter how proficient you are of, uh, in getting out of something, if there isn't something to get out of, it's not going to work. It would have to be something to get out of to get out of. Yeah? If there isn't, then getting out of it is what? A form of being in it. That was a big hit for me, because I really was in that process of trying to get out of something I thought I was or I thought I was in for a long time. And when it hit me, that Jesus Christ, it wasn't because I'm not a good practitioner. It wasn't because of anything that I thought. It was because you can't get out of an imaginary place. There was no way I was ever going to escape from that prison because there ain't a prison. Yeah. <coughs> just blew my mind when it hit me. <clears throat> it was like these fucking pants I pulled up every day just dropped and I didn't pull them up again. You know, get on your little uniform of seeking and get out there and seek away. And, yeah, fucking. So. If someone asks you, 
what have you done lately? You have no idea, really. You know, they just, days don't have much of a demarcation anymore. Yeah, it's just sort of like a, there's like a giant window with like a, like a flash of light going over it every day. But the window stays exactly the same. Yeah, all this stuff goes by, all different colors. Yes, some go slower than others, some go fast. But in all that traffic, really nothing ever happened because the, the window is more the state of your mind, yeah? not all the f- colors flying by. And when you're not in it, you'll lose interest in it. And you're not in it. <laughs> you truly are not in that movie that you've subscribed to for 50 years. You've never been the star of it. You're not the narrator of it. Oh, I can, that voice I recognize. Who is it? Oh, it's Dexter. He's the one that's doing those Dodge commercials. You know, oh, it's about Paul. Oh, yeah. Very keen on this little thing he's talking about. <laughs> really, as soon as it's not about you, ah, oh, your interest and attention will be freed from that yoke. And it'll go where it will. And then you'll find out, as the action figure, where it went. Because it will bring about results and things will occur. And you'll, Sometimes you'll be really, really surprised. How the hell did this ever come about? Because I had no intention of any of this. And you see that it has its own life. You know? And it's not like chained to the idea of being you anymore. Because what you are isn't about being chained to. It's really free-floating. It's free, a lot of spaciousness, a lot of possibilities, yeah, a lot of, uh, just a whole lot of possibilities can happen to this, through this, as long, but when it's me, it's like a chokehold, because you have a predetermined story you want to keep with, and any other information that goes contrary to it usually doesn't get into the, into the, the mix, really, it sort of gets segregated out of it, so you can get your own little story going. Yeah. I read a... You have no questions, man.